lovely to be here tonight at the start of 40 Days of Community. As Caitlin has already pointed out, I'm speaking under this wonderful banner erected up there. So uh, tonight, as we look at this story, or well, this real event, this recollection of a real event that happened in the life of Jesus right at the start of it, I'm going to try and do two things in this talk. I'm going to unpack that passage a bit and see... Uh, what God might be saying to us through it. But also as I do that, I'm going to unashamedly try and do a last-minute plug to get you to sign up for 40 Days of Community because I'm not sure I've mentioned it enough over the last few uh, weeks, possibly months even. Um, But before we get right into the passage, let me just, I'm just going to take a step back from it and talk a little bit about the significance of the number 40 uh, in the Bible because a few of you might have spotted some parallel already between 40 days of community and the 40 days in the story that Jesus spent in the wilderness. Jesus did something for 40 days, and we're about to do something for 40 days. And that should tell you that we didn't just think, oh, how many things have we got to say about community? Well, we counted up 40 different things we could think to say about community, and I thought, right, so we'll do, we'll do 40 days. No, it's much, uh, there's much more significance behind the number than that. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and it should be quite obvious what the answer to these questions is as I ask them, okay? I'm hoping. Okay, so they're all to do with events in the Bible. So uh, Noah and the ark, how many days did it rain for in that story in the Bible? So you're getting the hang of it, okay. Keep that answer in the forefront of your mind. Moses, after he had uh, led the people out from slavery in Egypt into the wilderness, he went up on the mountain to get the commandments from God, the Ten Commandments which God uh, gave to them, and stone tablets. How many days was Moses up on the mountain getting those commandments for? (laughs) Who said 27? (laughs) Out, out. (laughs) Okay, uh, the... Israelites uh, waited in the wilderness for a number of years to enter the promised land. How many years were they in the wilderness for? Okay, let's pick this up. The establishment of the king of Israel in the Old Testament was founded upon its first, their first three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. Each ruled for exactly 40 years. Well done, you're getting there. The, Elijah prof, the prophet Elijah, uh, when he was calling Israel to turn back from uh, worshipping idols and from ignoring God and turning back to him, he fasted for how many days? We've just heard Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days in the wilderness. How many days was uh, Jesus on earth after his resurrection before he ascended into heaven? Well done. There we go. Do you get the idea that the number 40 is actually quite significant in the Bible? And there's a common theme that is running through these events of 40. They're all associated with the end of one era and the start of another. They're linked with the starting of something new, a new development in the history of, of God's plan for either an individual or for a people or for a community. It's associated with new beginnings. God led people in various seasons of 40, usually days, but sometimes years. Be thankful we're not doing 40 years of community, okay? For the purpose of inaugurating a a new era, a new season in their life. Biblically, the number 40 is linked to, to, to turning things around, to making a positive difference or impact in your life, to end one chapter and to start 
the next. In uh, our church here at HTC, we've been in a, a season where quite a lot of change has happened, hasn't there, over this year. We've had the departure of Philip and Mike and their families earlier on, you know, and just heard the name of the new vicar that was announced, Patrick, he's going to be joining us uh, shortly after Christmas in the early new year. We're going to begin a new era together when he arrives. And what I would love for us all to do as a community, not just the community of the 630, but I've said this at the other services I've spoken at today, is to come together under God and go into this new area focused and ready, growing, serving, worshipping together with a common cause, sharing God's love amongst ourselves and also with our community of Cape Claygate, properly equipped and ready for this new era, this new chapter that God is calling our church toward. Spending 40 days together, focusing on that, listening to what God might have to say to us. So let's now turn and have a look a little bit at uh, this passage in a bit more depth that we just heard uh, read to us tonight. Why did Jesus start with these 40 days in the wilderness? Well, the first two verses of uh, of that say this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I like that last little bit that Matthew sort of added on the end there. He was hungry. Bit of an understatement there. I'm hungry if I miss one meal. Can you imagine what you'd be like after spending 40 days with no food whatsoever? So, actually, what I want to focus on is right at the start of that is the then. I just want to share what's happened before in Jesus' life before this. It won't take that long because not a lot has happened before. Uh, the only thing in Matthew's Gospel that is recorded before other than the birth of Jesus is the account of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus goes to John the Baptist and John recognizes Jesus as God's son, the one sent to rescue the world. And uh, everybody that had been there saw something really special happen when, um, when John baptized him. We saw the Spirit, Holy Spirit descend on, on Jesus like, like a dove. We saw the heavens open and God's voice speak to everyone saying, this is my son whom I love. I'm really pleased with him. Listen to him. Jesus had done no public teaching at this point in his, um, in his, in his life at all, uh, or ministry. We're, we're told that later on in, in verse 17 of this chapter, that after this, Jesus began to publicly proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Um, so let me just make this clear, what's happening here. Even though Jesus was God's son, even though he'd been equipped by the Holy Spirit and it had descended on him, even though he had been command, people had been commanded uh, to listen to him by a voice from heaven, he, Jesus could have gone, uh, worldly speaking, on that wave of euphoria with people following him straight into his ministry there, and people would have followed him. But what did Jesus do? He took 40 days out to focus on God. He took 40 days to end this one chapter of his life before he began the next. He wanted to start this new era in a right way, focused on God. Uh, The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and Jesus followed. Followed to a place where there was going to be no distraction, where he could just spend time daily and focus solely on God. 
And God, I don't think, led, didn't lead Jesus in to spend these 40 days for no reason. But he really wanted uh, Jesus to focus on him, to focus on that relationship and get his calling absolutely right, to be fully prepared for the ministry and for the life that was ahead of him on earth. I really want as many of you as possible to join in with this 40 Days of Community program because I believe that if you commit to it and if you make these next 40 days committing to spend some time with God, it will have a positive impact on your life. No matter where you are in your life, taking time out daily to focus on God, to listen to him, to hear his word spoken, to his wisdom, to spend time talking to him, opening up our hearts and allowing ourselves just to be close with him daily. I don't think it's a time that is ever regretted by people. And what's brilliant about this 40 Days of Community is we can do that in so many, or in three particular different ways. Let me just remind you what they are. We've got a table with devotional books out there that uh, you can start reading today encouraging you just to read a chapter a day. The chapters are really, really short. They only take you uh, five minutes to read. There's some questions and some, uh, a verse for you to think about each day, which you can, you can read and then think about when you're doing other things as well, or you can spend a bit longer if you want to. But you can read it and, and commit to it each day. Even if you can't or are unable for whatever reason to come and join the midweek um, events, then please just still do take a devotional and commit with the rest of the church. We, uh, I think about 300 of those devotionals have gone, but um, there's still more available. So do take them. Do take one if you want one and just commit to it and then come and chat with people before the service about what you've been reading each week. Ask people how they're getting on with it, even if you can't come midweek. Because focus daily on fo- have fo- having focused time daily with God, I believe, is a real benefit to you. And God will use that and honor that as you do it. So we've got daily readings for 40 days. The second ways is, um, as well as reading on our own, is we're going to come together as a whole community, a whole church congregation, either on a Wednesday evening or a Thursday morning. It's not just going to be people here from the 6.30 service. We're going to have people from all the other four different services that happen on a Sunday. We're going to come together and see a wider community than we just see in the evening. One of the things that uh, I had a little smile out this morning is Bill, the other church warden, he gave that notice at the 8 a.m. service and he came in his suit with his tie on to give it at the 8 a.m. service because that's what they liked. And then when he gave exactly the same notice, he worded it, he did word it slightly different, but exactly the same notice uh, at the 9.30 service this morning. His jacket was off and he'd taken his tie off and undone his, his buttons as well. You know, that's just a little snapshot of the differences there are in our community. We're going to all come together and see what God can do amongst the breadth of our community, the different people in our community uh, that value different things that God uh, has, has called us to. All focusing together in, in the world. Um, yeah, all focusing together uh, on God. And the third thing we're going to do is as we do that, also in the evenings or the mornings, we're going to split up into uh, small groups and get deeper relationships to support and encourage one another. Jesus, I don't think, got it wrong when he came. He had large crowds following him, didn't he, lots of the time. But he chose 12 disciples 
to really invest and spend a huge amount of time with, to share his life with. They shared everything together. They went round together, and he invested in them. They supported and encouraged one another day by day, uh, week by week. And that's also what you get to experience during the 40 days of community as you come. Here's hopefully a small group of people that are going to encourage, uh, equip, uh, and, and support you on your journey with Jesus as you uh, read these devotionals and as you spend time on the different topics. You can chat about how, what difference that can make and encourage people to keep going in that. Jesus, the church we have today, was built by those 12 people that Jesus invested in. They had the strength to do it because they had a small group and Jesus invested relationally in them. Think what a difference and an impact that could make in our lives if we, if we can do that as we spend these 40 days really focusing on what God is calling us to as a community. Just on an aside, loneliness as well is one of the major concerns that um, charities and governments have about our society as well. Studies have shown that more and more people are feeling isolated and alone. In a world where we often think it's so easy to stay in touch, more and more people feel like they have lost connection with those around them. Spending 40 days focusing on what God is calling us as a church, a community, to be for one another and also to those in the wider community of Claygate is going to be really valuable and helpful, not just for ourselves, but also for others as well. God calls us to have different values to the world. They're better values, I believe. Values that last and have eternal meaning. So do sign up for 40 days of community. Even if you can't make every single midweek one, don't let that put you off. As long as you can come to a good number, uh, sign up tonight. It's not too late. Anyway, let's get back to this passage from Matthew. So what happened to Jesus after the 40 days? We're told in verse 3, the tempter, that's the devil, came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, and the tempter comes to him and basically says, now you've spent your time focusing on God, you go straight into your ministry by satisfying your own desires and your own needs straight away. That's what this temptation is about. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I really struggle um, after missing one meal. So Jesus is going to be really, really, really hungry at this point. The temptation placed in front of Jesus has got to have been really attractive towards him. He's starving, and he does have the power to turn this pile of stones into bread to look after himself. But he doesn't, does he? Even though he's starving, he's spent this time preparing himself for this next step in his ministry. And Jesus knows that his ministry is not about serving himself and looking after his own needs first. Jesus came to serve others, didn't he? He was not on earth to satisfy his own needs, but to serve the needs of us. Jesus came not to serve, uh, not to be served, but to serve. We get that wonderful response from Jesus. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting a a verse there from the prophet Isaiah in hundreds and hundreds of years before. Jesus' earthly ministry, he knows, is only going to be successful if he relies on God and not on satisfying 
his own needs. He's relying on his heavenly Father to guide him. And that's what we, I believe, as a church community are called to do, to rely on God's words, to put his uh, needs, uh, or put what he puts on our hearts first, to serve him first rather than ourselves. Do you remember what Jesus said with the greatest commandments? The first two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's about loving God, following his way, and loving others as well. I wonder if over the next 40 days there's perhaps an area in your life where God is asking you to refocus, an area where you perhaps need to trust God and put him first, or put the needs of somebody else before your own. Is there an area in your life where you're seeking to satisfy yourself rather than God? No matter where we are on our journey with God, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or only a short time, I think we all have areas in our life where we need to learn to rely on God more and ourselves less. And I do think if we spend these next 40 days uh, looking on the type of uh, lives that God is calling us to leave, God can make a positive difference in every single one of us and also in us as a community. So Jesus rebuts that temptation and the following two as well. Again, both with words from the Bible. First, uh, the devil tries uh, hunger. And in the next question, the devil uh, uh, tests or questions Jesus' identity again. If you are the son of God, he says. It was there in the first one, but I didn't pick it up. I didn't pick it up, I didn't mention it. And uh, he asked Jesus to prove himself by forcing angels to come and serve him. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off and get these angels to come and, and uh, save you from falling and come and worship you. When I was uh, young, I was lucky enough to be able to go on family holidays abroad. And uh, often we would have to go on a plane. And I, I remember as a team when I was growing tall, I would really look forward to the holidays. But I wouldn't look forward to the journey to the holidays because I had quite long legs. I grew quite tall quite quickly when I was a, a young lad. Um, and I hated being stuck on the seats towards the back of the plane because, uh, A, you don't know quite who you're going to sit next to, but more than that is I didn't have enough room for my legs. I felt like my knees were up round by my cheekbones or in my ears because you were just so, so cramped up. And uh, I used to look in envy because what they do, don't they, is they make you, as you go in the plane, they make you walk past all the really big seats that you can lie down first before you go at the back. And I used to look on with real envy at those seats. But then one year, my dad got a promotion from work and uh, he, hadn't got, he had to work out in the States. And we used to get flown over to go and see him during the holidays. And we got flown over business class. Oh, the luxury. It was just... I remember not just on the plane, but you go into the airport and you go into... You could go into, like, this special area to check in and then straight into a lounge. You didn't have to mix with the ordinary people. (laughs) And then you could go on the plane at your leisure and then the seats were so nice that you could actually literally lie down in them. You didn't have to... If you wanted to curl up and have your knees up by, you could could do that, but that was comfortable because you were lying down. It wasn't because you were forced to. Oh, it was heaven. Heaven, almost. (laughs) The stewards and the stewardesses, you know, they'd call me sir. 
And I was only like 14, well, maybe 15 years old at that time. Can you imagine the, how special and great that made me feel being served and looked after like that? I'm sure a lot of us do kind of like it, don't we, when we're served or made to feel really important and really special like I did uh, when that happened. That's the kind of desire I think that Satan is, is tapping into here. Uh, that need or that desire we have for, pe- to, for people to recognize who you are or who you think you are, uh, to get people to worship you and to serve you. Uh, and he's asking Jesus basically to force the angels to come and serve him, to rescue him and save him. And the reality is, again, that uh, the angels would, would do this. You know, the devil even quotes scripture at Jesus for doing this. But Jesus is not going to force the angels to do that. He's not going to make people serve him and put God to the test. Jesus, in his earthly life, he wants people to choose to worship him, to choose to see who he is. He never forces people to follow him. And again, Jesus came to serve, not to be served by others. That was what marked his ministry out. Perhaps there's an area in your life where another area in your life where maybe there wasn't for the first one over these next 40 days where God is asking you to trust his words and his promises to try not to use use God simply to indulge yourself, to get glory and power over others. Rather an area where you need to, again, seek to serve others the third temptation yet another desire that's easy to fall into take a shortcut take a shortcut to do whatever doesn't matter what it is that's what you want go for it and get it to have it all Jesus can have it all now all he has to do is bow down and worship the devil. We know that Jesus gets everything given to him in the end by his father, but here's a shortcut to that. The devil is offering him everything now. All he has to do is bow down and worship Satan. I'm sure we can all think of uh, business people from the news that uh, we've heard about, or maybe people we know that you don't quite trust them because you'll know they'll do anything to get what they want. It doesn't matter. They'll trample on people, happily throw people under the bus in order to get that promotion at work or get what they want. People that will sacrifice friendships or maybe their families to get more of what they want. Personal profit comes first at the expense of others. I support the best football club ever, Farnborough Football, Farnborough Football Club, Farnborough FC. I'm sure you've all heard of them. Uh, when I was younger, they were, they were brought over by somebody that was basically a very selfish owner. He took the club and used it for his own personal gain. He bought the club, put himself as manager, um, put, saddled the club with huge debts, and then left the club uh, when he was offered a managerial role at another club and took all the players with him, released all the players, and took them, took them with him. He could do that because he was the owner the club folded and went bankrupt he just was using something that people loved for his own benefit 
You've heard about the BHS and the questions around the own, previous owner there with the pensions. The Sports Direct owner seems to be constantly in the news. Big cases where people, the ends for them justifies the mean. They'll do whatever it takes. I mentioned earlier about my, uh, my dad working in America. One of the biggest things I respect about my dad was actually he saw him working over there was sort of splitting our family and making us really, really struggle as a family. And he gave up that great job and came back because he valued his uh, family uh, above his work or his job that he had out there. And he told me years later, not at the time, years later, he phoned one of his um, friends or, that he had who, who worked in a different, uh, completely different country, but he'd known through this, this company. And he phoned him up and he said, I don't know what to do. And this guy said to him, I chose my career over my family. And I've got where I am because I did that. But I really regret it. I wish I'd chosen my family over my career. And my dad took his advice and, and came back. The ends never justify the means. It matters how we get there. Jesus knew the path ahead of him. He knew it would be hard and difficult. But that was the path his father wanted him to walk down. So he walked down it. Here's my last sort of question for you. Is God calling you to use your gifts and your passions in a right way? Is God calling you to take the path that he is wanting you to go down? Or are you just using the gifts that God has given you selfishly for yourself? It matters how we go about things, both individually and also as a community. I believe over the next 40 days, as we all focus on God together, God can make a difference in our lives. God can prepare us as a people to live lives that are better focused on him that will shine out in our community with those people that we meet. That will shine light into this world that so desperately needs it. So, my challenge to you is over these next 40 days, spoiler alert to what we're focusing on this coming week on Wednesday or Thursday, what God is calling us as Christians to live is a life of love a life filled with Christ-like love in community. Pick up a devotional. Spend time each day with God and join in with the rest as best you can because it will be worth it. Amen.